This is the first time. Chirp Radio's live storytelling and music series recorded at Martyrs in Chicago's North Center neighborhood. Here's your host, Jen Sodini. Next reader, Chris Meister. He's a DJ at Chirp. Um, he's an actor and writer. Him and Dick Wolf are like this. He's like on Chicago Fire, PD, all the Chicago shows. Pleasure I introduce, Chris Meister. Thank you, Jen. Never forget the reins of Pitchfork, ladies and gentlemen. Never forget that. Uh, Ten days ago, I had a completely different story in my hand. It was a good story. It was solid. It was under time. But in those ten days, we've, uh, we've all lost uh, someone awesome, uh, an artist that changed the course of music, especially in our country. And he factors into this story. Also, I found out that a childhood friend of mine that plays a major part in this story also passed away. So this is for Steve. It's August of 1985 in a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri named Fenton, and I am walking everywhere. I should be riding a bike. I am in fifth grade, and that is what fifth graders do in the summertime. They ride bikes. I should be cursing under my breath as I pedal up hills. And don't kid yourself, 10-year-olds curse like little motherfuckers. Now, I should be feeling the freedom of a downhill coast. I should be whipping past streets and cul-de-sacs, only experiencing fear when I come to a four-way stop sign. Or even worse, if my shoes should fall off the pedals. How can I thrust my feet into that spinning sphere of metal? It would, of course, mean certain tragedy. Death by Huffy. Yet, this summer, I have no worry of that. The cul-de-sacs I pass are on foot, so I can take in all of their domestic blandness. Every driver at every four-way stop sign notices me because I am traveling at roughly two miles per hour. Walking sucks. Now this is not by choice, mind you. Earlier in this summer, in June, I had a good bike. No, a great one. It was a purple Schwinn with a banana seat, also purple. I named him, of course, Prince. I was in full Purple Rain soundtrack madness, and I thought it was a really cool name for my bike. And now, after the events of last week, I still think it's a really cool name. I lived in Greenmar, which was the oldest subdivision in town. Greenmar was built in the valley of this big hill, May Valley it was called. And everyone wanted to live in that valley. It had nice, linear streets, cooler temperatures in the summer, easy rows of ranch-style houses, perfect for growing gardens and families, for backyard soccer games and garage sales galore. But the hill, well, the hill is just a big old ugly hill, nothing notable about it. It's just where the contractors of the subdivision would haul their trash, their displaced dirt, and other byproducts of building 500-plus houses. The hill also held Greenmar Apartments, which were the dirty little secret of the Greenmar subdivision. I later learned that the apartment complex was actually a requirement of the village trustees. They imposed it on the builders of the subdivision. It was their way of satiating the state's requirement of building offset affordable housing for the city. They were, at that point, the first and only apartments in Fenton. That's where I lived with my mom. The summer of 85, was swelter sweltering. The heat had come on early, and with it, St. Louis's predictably terrible humidity. 
Now one day, me and Steve Breyer, yeah, Breyer, like the patch, we were uh, practicing our skid outs. Now skid outs were when you would pedal down a sidewalk or a parking lot or an open street really, really fast and then slam back on the brakes of your fixed gear bike, thus skidding out. <laughs> Points were awarded very arbitrarily on the length of the skid and the flamboyancy of the pattern. It, it was kind of like, uh, like voguing with bicycles. Now, Steve would give me pointers, and even though we were roughly the same age, Stephen Breyer was the kung fu sage of the complex in everything bikes. He had a mongoose, which was a BMX bike, not a rabbit animal. And the mongooses had Skyway mags, which if you don't know what those are, that's not my problem. You can look it up yourself. That bike, that bike was considered the shit. And oh, how did Steve get it? He won it at the South County Invitational BMX Challenge. Can't even say the whole thing. Which in St. Louis is like hitting a home run in Bush Stadium and then somehow while rounding the bases, hitting an additional home run. It was unbelievable and certainly the biggest achievement of any apartment kid I had ever met. So Steve, after one mystical serpent-like skid, starts dropping knowledge on me the ins and outs of what to do. You see, you, you slam, and then you twist, and then you let up a little, you feel the ride. And then you slam, and you twist the other way. And I asked Steve, Steve, how do you know when to end the skid? And Steve replies, all Confucius-type shit, the skid will end itself. That is pretty fucking deep for a middle schooler. And I let this little nugget settle into my prepubescent brain, but I noticed out of the corner of my eyes, three slightly older boys roll up to us. Now they looked to be around 13 or 14. They had cool skater haircuts. They were certainly not from the apartments. Now at first I thought they were from down the hill in the valley where all the houses were. Those kids would come up in the summer and pilfer the only cool thing we had in the apartments. The only thing that made it worthwhile living there this huge kick-ass apartment pool. Yeah, I had diving boards and slides and everything. The pool was actually better maintained than, maintained than any of our individual apartments, and it was usually the major selling point to any would-be renters. Now, perhaps, perhaps maybe what was a layover of the laissez-faire 1970s time when, in which where the pool was actually built. The pool didn't have a lifeguard, much less anybody else checking residency status. So, you know, it was open season to anyone who wanted to come up there. And even though we tried to enforce a locals only policy like we were surfers or something, we couldn't because we were pretty young and we had low numbers and we had no way of stopping these valley kids from coming up to our, our pool and swimming and talking to all the pretty good looking apartment girls that, you know, they would of course date. So, you know, needless to say, we didn't hang out with those guys much. Yet, as these three kids rode up on us, I noticed something different. Their swim trunks were not regular swim trunks. They were OP Bermuda shorts. Yeah, yeah. Pretty damn expensive, even for subdivision kids of that age. And their bikes? Their bikes were goddamn Gallagher's. Now, Gallagher bikes, they were from England. Fucking England, okay? And to us, they cost like a billion dollars each. They were, they were the Maseratis of BMX bikes. And at that point, at that point I realized the kids were not from down the hill, no, no. 
They were from the other side of the hill. That's where people didn't even have houses. They had fucking estates. It was unincorporated Fenton. It was tax break havens. It was, it was where the rich would just shoot people for fun. <laughs> Leader number one, the, the boy, the first boy, he creeped up closer to us on his bike. Hey, what are you guys doing? He said, punctuating the question with a perfect flip of his skater hair that even Tony Hawk on his best day couldn't pull off. We were slow to answer. Finally, after a pause, I, I mumbled, well, you know, we're, we're practicing our skids. Yeah. Cool, the leader replied, which he did say, of course, in a very cool manner. Uh, you want to bet something? Like, who can skid the longest? Oh, man, we froze. Steve quickly countered, uh, we don't have anything to bet. The leader looked at Steve's custom-made grips on his handlebars. Okay, okay. Well, the handlebars weren't really custom-made, and neither were the grips. But Steve's dad did carve Steve's initials into him in a very fancy way, so I, I thought they were custom-made. Nah, nah, Steve replied. Come on, I'll, uh, I'll bet you these pegs. That's what the leader counter-offered, and he pointed down to a set of pristine Sputnik hammer pegs that were on his back tires. They were, of course, top of the line. These guys were from the other side of the hill. And unbelievably, to my eyes, they were made of purple chrome. I had prints. Of course I had to have them. The beautiful one commanded. So I blurted out unthinkingly, yes, yes, we will take that bet. Steve just looked at me as I assertively nodded my head. So the leader nodded his head in approval, uh, all the while his luxurious locks just catching a slight breeze or something. We made our way to the top of the parking lot where the contest would begin. Now, Steve somewhat lagged behind, but I thought he was just mentally preparing himself. He was to go first, Steve was, and I, <laughs> I sighed in relief and then I had a little laugh because, you know, surely <laughs> Steve would school these little pretty boys, right? I mean, did they know who they were messing with, Steve, Briar, BMX champ, huh? They're gonna get a mongoose in the briar patch. Oh yeah, somebody's gonna get stuck. Yeah, I, I should probably mention here that I was really into wrestling at 10 years old and also at 30 years old. Uh, but so Steve gets onto his faithful steed, but I noticed that he did so very shakily. He wiped off his hands on his purposely ripped jeans. Nobody remember that when you would purposely rip your jeans? Yeah, it was St. Louis thing. But something was different here. Yeah, something was wrong. You see, when it was just the two of us, and Steve would dazzle me with his feats of, of two-wheeled sorcery, he would always look back at me right before the trick and give me this slight smirk, this little smile that seemed to tell me, uh, this ain't nothing but a thing, Chris. Well, here we were in front of these country club jerk-offs, and there was no look back. There was no slight smirk. Steve was just warily looking forward, and now, now I was scared because this was the thing. 
This was a definite thing. So Steve started off with a wobble and pedaled lethargically as if going to his own funeral, but gradually he gained some speed. And right about, as he was right about to hit the zone, that's the area where we all roughly started our skids, right about hitting the zone, he did something that I had never seen before. Steve, the green marking of everything bike, my mentor, the, the golden boy, he bailed on the skid. He curled his bike away from the zone and he immediately and cowardly pedaled his mongoose back towards his apartment building, his shadow almost beating him to his door. Now all three of the estate boys, which we will now call them, they just laughed. They laughed and laughed. They laughed that type of laugh that you find only in the rising action of any John Hughes comedy. <laughs> well, looks like the bet's off, the leader declared. No, 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 it's not. I am good for it, I blurted out. Not having any idea what that actually meant. I had only heard my Uncle Tom slur it a few times at a family poker games on Thanksgiving. Now, I looked straight ahead. I closed my eyes. I visualized my ride. Short, sharp pedal cranks, gaining speed, locking my brakes, and then skidding the king of all skids, swerving in and out, back and forth, perhaps doing a full circle. Who knows? So snake-laden that it would make a pharaoh blush. And when the dust would settle, there I would be, glistening in the sun, the ruler of the pegs. Dude, go, the leader callously shouted at me, broke me from my trance. He motioned for me to go, again, with, with his perfect hair. So I, I checked on Prince. I looked down and his purple goodness was coursing through my veins. I checked Mean Joe Green. That was the football card I had taped on my back spokes to make that little motor sound. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. It sounded like a real motor. So, but Mean Joe Green and the rest of the Iron Curtain were in shape. I looked down at the sparkly Your Number One sticker that was on the crossbar of my frame. It was, uh, it was given to me by my fourth grade crush, Jody Leroy, only a few weeks earlier. And then kind of in my mind, I could picture her standing on those purple pegs with her hands on my waist. Perhaps we would do something even crazier later, like, I don't know, hold hands. But as I'm in this memory, or future, I don't know, memory, <laughs> All three of the estate boys yelled, go. I took a deep breath. I looked down at Prince and I gently whispered, let's go. Let's go crazy. <laughs> I didn't really, but that really, that kind of adds to the story, so. Anyway, I pushed off and quickly realized that my visualization was actually becoming prophecy. Prince and I were definitely in this bicycler revolution. Pedals came in sharp, sharp blast. My grip was that of talons. I hit my spot in the zone perfectly, and I started into my skid just as Steve instructed me. Slam, twist, let up, dream, slam again. And just as I was about to turn into my final twist, my prince, my beloved, hit a hitherto unseen patch of gravel. Now, now I don't remember falling per se, I just remember looking up as I slid with my, my ass and my knees and my elbows just getting ripped to shreds. And I remember that slide seemed to last forever, much longer than any skid I could have ever done. And I can also remember thinking, hey guys, could we count this as the skid, maybe? No, okay. 
Well, suddenly the bright day turned into night and my sliding had come to an abrupt halt. No, I, I had not passed out or anything. I was stopped by the only thing that was in the parking lot that day. A parked police car of an off-duty cop. Now, the cop wasn't in there, and the cop, coincidentally, was my upstairs neighbor. He was Officer Dan to me, but to my newly single mother, he was just Dan. <laughs> Another uh, coincidence about uh, Dan was he was the first adult I ever heard having sex. Yeah. His bedroom was just above mine, and I knew that what I heard happening was sex. I just didn't understand why Officer Dan was yelling so much. I could only assume that there was like another person involved, and I could only hope that that other person wasn't my mom. Now, anyway, as I tried to climb out, hey, it was, it was the early 80s. The 70s were still hungover. Anyway, I tried to climb out from underneath that Popo Cruiser but I was, I was tangled up in my own chain, and the boys had to pull me out by dragging out prints. Now, out under the sun, I stood up quickly. And then, right then, was the precise point that happens in every kid's life. It's that moment when you know that you are hurt, but you are not actually sure how bad you're hurt until you see other kids react to it. <laughs> simultaneously, in unison, uh, okay, that's redundant, but they all jumped back at once. Uh, what? I said very nonchalantly. And as I did say that, I knew what was what, because I could feel this huge flap of skin move as I was talking. It, it was hanging off my chin. I, I literally pushed the flap up with my hand and I could feel the blood stream through my fingers and cover my now red crimson ripped shirt. Holy fuck, I thought. Because yes, 10 year olds do also curse in their thoughts as well. I started to cry, not so much from pain, but from fear. I rushed to my apartment, still holding my chin. I recollect turning back to see the boy set Prince in all his newly scratched purpleness onto the grass next to the cop car. Now Prince's front tire was jack twisted in a way that no 10 year old should have been able to physically do. I still blame the cops. <laughs> now my mom had just gotten home and rushed me to the hospital, giving me my favorite Muppets washcloth to hold to my chin, uh, effectively ruining it. Now we got home later after having my wounds cleaned out and my chin stitched up by this young resident doctor named Betty, who I don't precisely remember, but I do believe she had the good hair. I limped out of the car. It's topical. Nobody will know what this is in like three years. I limped out of the car gingerly, my cuts and scratched, scratches, bandages, but still fresh. I took my mom to where the crash happened, where my bike was put in the grass by those Richie Rich boys, where my purple rain should have been puddled, but my bike was gone. Prince and his purple ban banana, my mean Joe Green, my number one Jody Leroy, all taken from me. I could hardly believe that some asshole had stolen my shitty beat up Schwinn especially when I was sitting right next to the patrol car of officer orgasm. But for the second day, for the second time that day, I cried. 
Over the next few days, we put up crudely drawn signs pleading for Prince's safe return with the promise of a small reward that has, quote, to be given to you when I see my friend, the bike. We cruised the neighborhoods. I put an ad in the local paper with my mom. We even made a police report with Officer uh, Sexalot upstairs. But nothing, still nothing. Now you see, I don't blame the people that lived in my apartment complex. Most of them were just trying to get by, living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. I know that if I saw a freed bike, even a fucked up one, and if my kid desperately needed one, wanted one, honestly, who knows what I would have done. I now know how a parent feels in hard situations. You just want to do anything to make your kid happy. I'll tell you what though, we lived in those apartments for another six years and never once, never once did I see a repaired, spray-painted 1980s era Schwinn tooling around that complex. In fact, the only things I never saw again were my bike, Prince, and those estate boys. Makes you wonder. Eventually in 1985, October of 85, I got tired of walking everywhere. I wasn't gonna ask my mom for a new bike because it was my mistake, my greed for those pegs that caused that crash and subsequently the disappearance of Prince, which is a lot to be on an 11 year old's mind. I had to get a bike on my own and I was good for it. I knew what that meant now. I heard of some kids from the other side of the hill, again, the estates, who were really into baseball cards. Now, I was into baseball cards as well, collecting my favorite players. One of my uncles had given me a shoebox full of his old ones. They were pretty moldy, but I took the best, least damaged ones and put them into a collector's book that I paired with my own best cards. And then I headed out to the estates to make the best deal I could. I found a kid to barter with rather quickly. His name was Alan or something. And he wanted to trade me my entire book of cards for an old bike of his, one that he didn't want or didn't need. I think he was taken back a bit by how quickly I closed the deal, but I was on a mission. About 10 minutes later, Alan is leafing through his newly acquired pages of pristine Dwight Gooden and Don Mattingly rookie cards while sitting on his front veranda. Now, I was in his front yard getting ready to take my new find back to my two-bedroom apartment, and he asked me something quite innocently. He asked, why did you trade me all these good cards for this old bike? I looked down at the old bike, which was actually my new one. Don't know, I replied. Guess I just needed a new bike, I added with a slight smirk. I rode off knowing the true reason. Because that old bike that I traded for, it was a Gallagher <laughs> with pegs. And you better believe it, I painted that sexy motherfucker the deepest shade of purple I could find. Long live Prince Rogers Nelson, huh? Say Lord, say Christ, I do 
listening to a Chirp Radio podcast of our live storytelling and music series, The First Time. Our storyteller was Chris Meister, and The First Time 3 performed Bicycle Race by Queen. The First Time 3 is Steve Frisbee, Liam Davis, and Scott Stevenson. To hear more First Time pieces, check out the series website, firsttime.chirpradio.org. And you can find more podcasts produced by the station at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.